I'm Noah. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to Product Journey. Um, so hey everybody, today we're joined by Corey Haynes, um, who is the head of growth at Metrics, who runs a job board for marketers that is called Hey Marketers. And he's also building courses and producing content on the side um, with, for example, mental models for marketing and refactoring growth. And he's also podcasting um, with a podcast called Cultivate and Keep. Hey, Corey, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is awesome. This is going to be fun to talk a lot about the things you're doing. We're, we're excited to hear from you. I thought maybe we should start out talking a little bit, you know, kind of about the elephant in the room. Hopefully, hopefully not the disease in the room, um, but uh, COVID nineteen. How are you? How are you? How are you guys doing with everything going on right now? It's pretty crazy. Yeah, good. I'm. Um, I'm. It's kind of business as usual for me because we're a fully remote company at Barometrics, uh, and my wife also works from home. So, thankfully, it hasn't financially impacted us. It hasn't really like been an inconvenience for us. We also coincidentally stocked up on toilet paper like the month before the whole outbreak. <laughs> um, we, we both went on different mm -hmm. Costco trips and then we're like, oh my gosh, we have like four giant things of toilet paper. So uh, now we're thinking <laughs> about selling it for profit. Maybe it's my, my latest side gig. Nice. But, uh, That's a good idea. We're good. Yeah. Family is safe so far. Um, no one that we know has gotten it. So we're just trying to self-quarantine and hunker down a That's little bit. That's good to hear. So uh, you mentioned that you and your wife are both working from home and you've done that for a while. So how... How do you guys do that? Because I'm trying to figure that out a little bit right now, uh, you know, working from home and my wife being here and us kind of doing our own things. Um, how do you guys do that? Yeah, I wouldn't say we have it figured out. <laughs> We're very much <laughs> figuring it out uh, as we go. I mean, I think um, personality has a lot to do with it, right? So I'm, I'm definitely more like the introverted one. Uh, and I like to just kind of like dig in deep work, just kind of like isolate and go in my little cave, which is my guest bedroom um, slash office. Whereas she is very mm -hmm. much like extrovert, wants to hang around, wants to do different things, wants to talk. So it's definitely been, you know, we've had to learn kind of like, hey, you know, can I not be interrupted every 10 minutes or, um, hey, we would like lunch certain times. And for her, it's like, uh, you know, by the way, like you can't just like disappear for nine hours, <laughs> you know, like, you know, <laughs> we work from home. We have the benefit that so we can like hang out, you know. So uh, anyway, I think that kind of your routine and habits have been a big part of it, like. Um, I try to have a strong morning routine with walking the dog, eating breakfast, um, making coffee for my wife and I sometimes, uh, if, if, she, if we're, if we're both lucky, we have some and same for her, just having the same habits, routines and making sure they don't clash, you know, so just get on the same page yeah. and making sure that you're sharing the space appropriately. Nice. Yeah. That sounds good. How about you, Ben? How's, how's it going in Germany? Um, I mean, the streets are pretty empty here <laughs> and I'm still going to the office actually because we're a small company um, and nobody, you know, like nobody's infected so far. So um, three of us are doing the home office stuff because they have kids and, you know, don't risk it. Um, probably the better idea there. Um, apart from that, it's, you know, we have enough toilet paper as well, <laughs> which <laughs> seems to be right. the main issue right now. Um <laughs> But yeah, I did actually reach out to Corey yesterday just to make sure that he's not like, you know, <laughs> that he's actually able to record, uh, <laughs> which was kind of weird. But uh, I guess, yeah, better doing that and uh, better safe than sorry. Yeah. 
Nice. Yeah, for me, I, I think the hardest thing is I've just found it's been hard to focus on my work. Like, I don't know, there's just so much going on and I'm like, I'll check Twitter, the news to see like, okay, what new things happening? And then I'm just like completely derailed and I cannot focus. I don't know if you guys have experienced that. Oh yeah. Yet, this has probably been <laughs> my least productive week of all time, I think. And it's, it's not <laughs> yeah, even because same. like, I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling it. It's just like so distracted, you know? And like, you're just constantly yeah. checking the news thinking about it, it just feels like uh like i want to like wait almost you know you're kind of like <laughs> looking for something but nothing's like there or like happening uh so yeah it's been really unproductive for me yeah and now especially with like i can't really like all the restaurants and coffee shops and places where i probably would go to work from home even in my apartment complex they closed down like our conference rooms and community areas where like was a good place for me to work from home i can't even go there so yeah. it's like i have a, a pretty small apartment so it's kind of hard to find a good space uh to work from home so that's yeah that's kind of been a challenging too and then when it's like when you're not used to working from home it's like this feels like a snow day so it's like should i be working i, I feel like i shouldn't be working right now <laughs> vacation <laughs> someone say time off yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Oh, at the fridge is nearby. Right. Hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, glad that I, so far we're all doing good. Hopefully all you listeners out there are, are doing okay. Um, so let's uh, jump into this a little bit, Corey. Um, I think both Ben and I have gone through a lot of your, you know, your refactoring growth stuff that you've been doing. So I thought we'd start out um, with that. Uh, really cool courses and stuff that you're building out. Um, one of the things that you talked about in that was kind of how to talk to customers and understand your users. Um, I think you, you had, you said something cool about like, um, your customers will tell you everything you need to know. You just need to ask. Um, so I guess, how do you go about doing those kind of customer interviews? What's kind of your approach to that? Yeah, definitely. So I, uh, the more and more that I'm like in the startup world and the business world, the more and more I'm like, why are people, uh, like not doing this more? Like, why do people not care about this more? Because it seems like, uh, again, all the answers are there if you're willing to kind of do the work. Now we'll say it's hard and it's super inconsistent. There's definitely a part of like the, um, one thing that people have to realize is that there's definitely like the Pareto law in effect here as well. It's like 20% of the customers are going to give you 80% of the insights it might even be 90 or a hundred percent. Like sometimes I'll hop on the phone with someone and it's just like customer support, you know, things. And they're just like random questions or they're just like, so like, what do you do at your job? I'm like, Oh, how do we like get back on track here? But I try <laughs> to have a really consistent process for it because again, it, uh, it can be hard and you want to be able to glean all those insights. Usually uh, I'll start with, um, like a survey. And so a survey just kind of get gathers like some high level information about like who they are, what they care about, um, different things that are a little bit more awkward to ask in a conversation. Like, Hey, can you list out all the podcasts and newsletters you, you subscribe to and like all the things you read and, or, you know, other things like, uh, what do you wish more people would teach about? It's just like, it's a little bit, not like the greatest conversational piece, much better for like a survey. And then at the end of the survey, I'll usually have a question that's like, um, Hey, would you be willing to, uh, like hop on the phone for 15 minutes and kind of, um, answer a couple more questions that are, uh, casual conversational, but related to this survey. And for other people who say yes, then I make a follow-up call. And then that call, it's a lot more in depth, you know, then it's like, Hey, I saw you said 
that you you know um, subscribe to these newsletters or these blogs or these podcasts like you can tell me why or you know what was going on in the world when you started looking for something like our product or you know what have you tried in the past and why why didn't it work out can you tell me more right because I think the the big thing about like the the phone conversations video conversations uh, ideally in-person conversations is that you can just kind of keep poking and prodding and keep asking why and it's also one of the keys you know so this whole process is just like keep pushing keep digging in um but yeah mm-hmm. i'll just have like a I, you just start with the survey um go to the to the uh to the interview questions and it's very casual conversational like the, the second you say hey can i interview you someone's like guard is up and they're like oh i have to give the right answers right um so you want to make sure that it's very conversational they, they know that there's nothing kind of behind it you know like you don't want to be like too upfront about oh this is a business meeting um and then yeah. apart from that also yeah. i like to do like separate online research and just kind of like uh, Amy Hoy's sales safari type stuff where you're just kind of looking through forums and uh, conversations on social media, uh, email threads, old, you know, piece of content and other, like what are people talking about, writing about, what do they care about um, to kind of gather some of those high level patterns as well. Yeah. So most of this that you're talking about is um, like, you know, sending out a survey to customers and stuff. Is that with like bare metrics customers, like people that you already know that are using bare metrics or how do you find those people, I guess, otherwise? Yeah. So for like, for this context, if I was, if I was wanting to really dig in and understand the bare metrics customers, right, that's probably where I would start. Um, and yeah. I would just send a list to, uh, part of that process too, is that you can kind of identify or maybe like try to select who you think is going to give you the best insights. Cause again, you don't want to waste your time doing 50 different conversations if you can just do five or 10. Um, so usually I'll look for like who's, who's been with us the longest or who's paying us the most, who have we sold additional products or services to, who do our support team say, uh, is like is the best customer is the nicest, who do our sales team say, um, was like their, their best deal or like close the fastest. So there's some of the places that you can start there as well. If you're starting a new product or if we were kind of doing some market research, like we're actually doing for, um, one of our new kind of add-on products at Barometrics is I'll just kind of go out to non-customers because um, it it can be a, a different perspective, right? And something different from the conversation. Whereas your customers might tell you like um, th- they're already kind of like biased a little bit in their perception of like what you might build or like what you're thinking of. Mm-hmm. Or again, it might just turn into a customer support conversation or something about, uh, you know, something you don't <laughs> really care about uh, with a someone who isn't your customer, right? Um, it's just about, you can kind of control the conversation a little bit better and in that way, right? You just want to go find relevant people. Um, I think that's mainly up to like your networking kind of lead sourcing skills mm-hmm. of finding the right people online. That's pretty yeah. interesting. So, um, so, so you're basically saying that you're also like over the lifetime of the company, you won't pre- pretty much don't stop interviewing people, right? So if there's like something new to the product like an add-on or whatever, you will still go out there and try to interview people about it? Yeah, definitely. And in fact, I kind of, uh, you know, there's definitely like these rounds. I, I like to do like an annual round of, you know, like new <laughs> conversations um, yeah. where, I, where I just like tap back into the customer base or just checking with people I've talked to before because now they have a relationship, you might even be able to get more insights or, or better uh, conversation. Um, and then there's always going to be conversations that happen, right, for like new products, new features, um, it might even do a round of conversations with canceled customers who are also a good mm. source of information um, as kind of awkward and like hard that is to get yourself to do. But um, 
uh, oh, the other thing I was going to say was you can also kind of like sneak it in there too. Like for a lot of the demos that I do or just a lot of like conversations <laughs> in other contexts, I'm asking these same questions that I ask in a more like interview style, uh, you know, where I like have like an outcome I want to get from this conversation, you know, I'll just like slip in there like, um, Hey, so like, what's like your biggest challenge right now? Or like, what's your, what, what's your main yeah, priority? Yeah. Like, what are you working <laughs> on? And then I'm like, okay, interesting. Why? Like, how have you tried solving that before? Like, where does this come from? Is this like you're from, from your own initiative or from a boss, from uh, a person on, on another team? Um, why did you decide to choose that? And how did it work? How did it not work for you? Right. So then I'm just try trying to understand like where they're coming from. Um, and so you can, you can kind of sneak in those same insights, uh, even in not like, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. Hey, will you talk to me about this? You know, it can be in any conversation you have with, with a customer. Yeah. That's good. That makes a lot uh, of sense. So one of, the, one of the things I've been kind of struggling with, cause I've been doing a lot of customer discovery stuff for what I'm working on. And the hard part, what I feel like is the hard part, I guess with like the new things is I feel like I have almost like two axes that I'm trying to like, almost like two variables that I'm trying to figure out at the same time. Like I'm f trying to figure out who is the target customer for something like this. And then at the same mm. time, what their problems are. And almost like make, it almost just confuses me. Cause then I'm like, okay, uh, is this the right target person? Uh, if it is, then like, okay, are these problems the real ones or not? Or maybe these are their problems, but it's like, I don't even know if they're the right target or something. So it's like, I don't know. I've been kind of confused with that recently. Just wondering if you had any ideas or, or ways to go about that better to kind of lock that down on, on actually getting some insights through that. Mm. Yeah. It's sort of, uh, yeah, it's definitely chicken or egg, right? Cause you could go with like one or the other first, like, which problem I try to solve or like who am I trying to solve a problem for? Um, mm -hmm. so I, yeah, I mean, it kind of depends until you have one of those locked down, it's probably not going to make sense to try to do both of those at the same time. Right. So, um, right. forgive me because I don't have a ton of context into what you're building or uh, what you're working on right now. But right. right. If you did want to build something for a particular, uh, type of business or like role in a business or even, you know, a role in a particular type of business, then you kind of already have that uh, that equation down. You already know like who you're targeting, and then it's just a matter of what problems they're you're trying to solve for for those people, uh, and that might be a little bit more like earlier stage. But if you already know the problem you're trying to solve, you're just trying to figure out who has this problem. Um, yeah, then maybe like you just want to cast your net wide, right? And then just like really focus mm -hmm. in on do they have this problem? W one of the things I'll say though is I think that. Um, where this can lead people astray maybe sometimes is when you're trying to get an answer out of someone. So like, uh, by the way, a lot of this is just taken from Rob Fitzpatrick of uh, the mom test. So if yeah, you guys haven't yeah. read that before, I would highly recommend yeah, going to that. I think we both read that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> like one of the things he talks about is how, uh, you know, like if you're looking for an answer from someone, like the way that you ask questions is just going to get like bias. It's just going to get skewed. And instead of coming to someone and saying like, um, uh, what, pro you know, what's your biggest challenge right now? Or like what problems do you have uh, within your business? You're like, Hey, so like what's email like to you? Or like, uh, have you ha ever had this problem? And they are kind of like teeing them up to be like, of course. Yeah. Oh dude, I hate email or like it's such a big problem. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, cool. So like they do have this problem, but then if you really dug into it, maybe they'd be like, well, I haven't done anything about it. Or like, it's not that big of a problem. Like, uh, you know, Derek Reimer of level when he was building the Slack alternative, you know, there, he got this big kind of like influx of people who are like, yeah, like, 
uh, we don't like Slack and we want something better. We don't want uh, distractions. So we spent like a year building this thing, finally got it in front of people. And then they were like, yeah, like it's good. Like we, we want to sign up, but like it just needs a couple more features or it just needs a couple more of this or it just needs a couple more of that. Um, mm -hmm. And then when he really got down into it, he was like, hey, so like what have you done about this? Like have you tried to look for any Slack apps that help with the, the distractions? Have you tried to customize it? Like have you... Uh, search for other things out there like have you tried um, other slack alternatives and they're like no no like it's not that big of a deal really for us so at the end of the day it was like okay this really isn't like a huge problem for people right um, so I think like asking like trying to get to the problem can also be tricky because you don't want to introduce a lot of that bias or just kind of like give people right. softballs to give you a really good answer when in reality that's not what's happening in their mind yeah that's good um Let's see. So, I mean, kind of what we're going off of here is your five factors of growth that you talk about. I think there are market, product, model, messaging and positioning, and channels, yep. right? Mm -hmm. um, so, we're kind of just hitting on a little bit parts of the market part, you know, finding, understanding your customers, uh, understanding their problems, kind of finding their market. Um, let's see. We had a, a next question kind of in more of the model factor of growth. <clears throat> um, just around free plans, I guess. Um, mm. And I think Ben, you were you were kind of interested in understanding like, uh, you know, should you start out with a free plan? Like, how do you think about when to introduce a free plan? How to how to handle a free plan in that way for yeah, growth definitely. and stuff like that? For me, it's like I'm also seeing it from the angle of a developer. So I feel like I'm rather strong in developing the product like building it and designing it so it does actually look good and works pretty well <laughs> for me the marketing stuff is obviously hard so i feel that having a free plan can be a pretty like a pretty convincing factor in getting people on board it can be, actually be used as a marketing tool um but at the same time i'm like with with playgroup maybe you saw that a little bit um it's it, it could be a right now it could be a um used for remote team communication or <laughs> something else i'm trying right now is uh building it into a community platform thing um both of which <laughs> which <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> that was very broad um both of which however would use like they, they need some resources on the server side and um obviously if you have a ton of free plans that will you know like i don't want to cannibalize the entire thing just mm -hmm. by giving it away for free but at the same time i'm feeling like free plans could be a huge marketing thing so yeah that's that's where i'm coming from and you you also already mentioned that in the course and i thought that was very interesting um yeah maybe you have some thoughts on that <laughs> yeah i mean freemium is uh super tricky and it's also like this new thing right that we've never experienced before of like a free forever plan right so it's like what else in the world is free forever like it's not yeah. car washes. It's not, it's not coffee. Like, <laughs> it's like, how do we think about this whole freemium thing? Um, like you mentioned, I, I think you kind of are like half processed it maybe already before, but, uh, definitely some of the risks are like, um, cannibalizing your paid plans, uh, high customer support. Um, maybe just, you know, attracting the wrong group of people just because it is free. Uh, so I think that's definitely one of the challenges with like, opening it up to just everyone and anyone is you want to make sure that you're picking the right people to build the product for because you get a whole you know slew of free people and they're like this is what we want and this is what we want to pay for and like this is how 
this is, you know, so you're like, okay, this is how the business is going to evolve and how I can build the product to do that. And then come to find out that like, they're not really like the best users for this maybe, or maybe they're just like, mm-hmm. they're, maybe they're only using it because it's free. Right. Um, mm, yeah. So there's definitely a couple of things to consider there of like, uh, are you okay with those risks and how do you kind of mitigate them or at least minimize them? Um, I think starting with a free, uh, starting with a free plan is good when you already have a super solid idea of who you're building it for and what it's for and like what the problem it's solving. Because then it's basically just lead gen, right? I mean, that's really what freemium is at the end of the day. It's not getting anything more than leads because those people literally are not paying you. So they're not customers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they're, they're free users, right? Uh, they're people who might be customers one day. So they're, so they're a lead. Uh, but like I said before, if, if you don't already have that idea and that lockdown, uh, it's definitely risky, right? Because you don't know if that free plan is going to result in customers down the road. If you don't know if they're the right people, right? Um, support is definitely a big part of that too. I mean, just again, like who do you want to spend your time with? Uh, who are the, are are these people worth your conversations and, uh, you being able, you know, being late up at night and fixing bugs, things like that. Uh, so I think like if you didn't have that lockdown of like the problem or at least like the market, then it's definitely better to start with something like a free trial or even like a paid plan that you're just kind of like beta testing with people because then you can validate, are these the right people? And is this a problem worth solving for? Yeah, Right. Um, so, but otherwise, like when you have that lockdown, I mean, I, maybe I'll shoot myself in the foot later for this, but <laughs> the, I think everyone could have a freemium plan of like, this is free forever. It's a very limited use case. It's a very, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's either blocked by usage or features or, um, some sort of other limiting factor. Right. But, um, it's, it's worked for a lot of big companies. There's a reason why a lot of venture backed high growth startups have free plans. It's just cause it's attractive, right? It's easy. And then you can get people up through the funnel and kind of a product led growth model. Yeah. That makes yeah, sense. It seems like in the like bootstrapped community, like businesses, like the pattern I've seen is like, mo- like most of them didn't have a free plan. And maybe after they've had, you know, a paid plan for a while, then they start to introduce some kind of freemium. Um, or I don't know if that's just, it's starting to become more of a trend that everyone's starting to have a freemium because they're seeing some benefits in it. But yeah, it does seem kind of like you're saying, like people, at least in the bootstrap businesses are starting or doing that later, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause so. there, there definitely are more risks because there is more support involved. Um, but one of the right. things I think that, uh, also is like forcing a lot of other companies to at least consider freemium is just that it's getting more competitive and that SaaS products are becoming more commoditized. And so like you're looking for that next thing that can give you a little bit of an edge, right? Or that can get you a little bit more leads or get a little bit more people into the funnel, get a little bit more people onto your side. And so freemium is definitely one of those things where you just get people early in the process or you get people who are kind of beginner level, or it makes it really easy for them to test out and use the product. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's probably one of the other kind of like market factors when you're considering freemiums, like do my competitors have freemium? Uh, or is there anything else like, um, I mean, the other thing too, is like, do people want freemium or do, would they rather be like shown the product or demoed it? Like one of the things I talk about the model mm-hmm. is like, uh, choose the activation model that your customers want, not that you want. Right. So like, look at how they're already acting and then like, f- uh, form your model, model, your model. So I was about to say <laughs> form your model around customers behavior. 
data box, mm. one of the examples I use in the course, um, the Peter, their CEO tweeted out that uh, they tested trial versus no trial. So like a free 14 day trial, pretty standard, right? And they found that with a trial, their churn was uh, half of what it was without a trial because customers were already treating their first month like a trial anyways. So like, why would you just in introduce that into your uh, churn equation of like all these people who forget to cancel or maybe like, we're just using it as an extended period of time to test it out and then cancel after a month anyways. So in that case, like th what they wanted to do was they wanted to start, get set up and then trial it for a month and then figure out if it was for them. Um, so if people want to use it for a while, if they're like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm ready to pay yet or I need to use it more, then freemium is a really good model, right? Because that's how they're already wanting to behave. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, okay, so we're gonna jump ahead a little bit here to channels, which is the last factor of growth that you talk about. Um, so like when you're starting out, which both me, or, me and Ben are pretty early on still in our businesses, do you think that there are uh, specific channels to focus on that are, are better to focus on early on? I think sales, to be honest, for every really early stage product, because again, you need that customer feedback and you need those conversations and sales is just kind of like the natural manifestation of that happening, uh, especially when it's like, you know, we don't quite have a ready product yet. Um, so sales for sure of like, you know, it reminds me of um, Ben Ornstein at Tuple. Uh, I was just asking about it the other day because I was just like, how did that guy do that? And like, this is it's a really <laughs> hard thing to do. But he pre-sold um, Tuple before they even had like an MVP. It was like they just created like mm -hmm. a prototype. The thing barely worked. And then he started pre-selling it. He also started testing out their pricing. So he just kept upping the price for every new conversation that happened. Um, but I think they had like, I don't know, a few thousand dollars, maybe even like $10,000 worth of uh revenue they had generated from pre-sales even before they had an MVP. Um, and in that way they knew like what people really cared about and like what should our MVP, MVP be. Um, and so I think sales is definitely a big one. Uh, I think, I mean, personally, like the, I think the perfect kind of marketing channel is SEO personally, because, uh, <laughs> it's free and it's recurring traffic and it can be really high intent of like, if people are looking for email marketing software and you can be the number one result, like they're going to sign up right away. It's like they're, they found exactly what they're looking for and they're already in the stage to buy, you know, rather than something like, um, SEO or email marketing best practices, right? There might be someone who's not ready to buy yet. At least you can get their, their, their attention anyways, but like it can be super high intent recurring traffic and it can be free. Um, so sales, SEO, and then I think anything customer generated. So if you can have a referral program, um, affiliate program, that doesn't have to be customer generated. I just mean like basically someone else doing the marketing for you, essentially, um, mm -hmm. referral program, affiliate program, partner, reseller program, even, um, like I know Demio, David Abrams and the guys over there, Wyatt, uh, they launched with an affiliate program. And I think they launched to $40,000 in MRR because they had gotten so many affiliates that they were just like, all right, push send, we're launching. And then all their affiliates <laughs> were like, hey, everyone is launching. Here's the link, go sign up. And there was like $40,000 a month just right away. I was like, whoa, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> that's crazy. So yeah, sales SEO. And I would say anything like kind of referral or uh, you know, someone else doing the marketing for you. Ideally, yeah. right? Can't be super yeah, prescriptive. Awesome. Um, so let's see with all these five factors of growth. Um, do you think that there's like an order that someone should focus on them or do you have to, 
you know, look at them all at once. How do you, how do you think about that with the five factors of growth? Yeah, I actually ordered them super specifically, uh, in that order. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think everything starts with the market with your customers, um, first taking a very like macro level view of like the overall market, who's in it, who their competitors, like what are the types of businesses or people that we're talking to? How many of them are there? What are they spending in this market already? Or like, you know, what's their buying power essentially on a micro level, you know, talking to customers, getting to know them, gathering interest, um, you know, making sure that you're building the right product for the right person. You know, Seth Godin, one of my favorite quotes from him is he said, it's a lot easier to uh, create a product for people than it is to find people for your product. And, I think it, it's really hard to do, but like ideally, again, that's the right order of operations there is find mm-hmm. people and then build a product for them. Finding uh, people for your product is still, uh, it's not terribly hard, right? But it's it's going to be harder because you're going to have to adjust the product for those people. Um, so I think it always starts with the customer and then the product, obviously, because that's what is going to be the value that you drive for those people. Uh, and so building the right, you know, building the right thing, Um, I have a couple of kind of ways to think about that, but basically it's like the bigger pain or problem that you solve for, the more valuable you're going to be. Um, and so, but also you want to make sure that you're actually solving a problem, right? And it's not just a vitamin. It's a, it's a painkiller, the model, because that's how you deliver it. That's how you actually charge for it. So getting people into the product and then charging for the product, the message and positioning is all about, uh, gathering interest for it. And like, how do we deliver this message in a way that it resonates with the, with the right people. So we get those people to become customers through our model and then channels, right? Which is how you basically deliver that message. Uh, what are all the ways you can get in front of people in front of the right people and in a sustainable and repeatable way? Yeah, that's good. And that's, that's a really good overview of all those. Uh, I like, I like the list. I think those are all important. So <laughs> awesome. Um, so, uh, as, uh, Ben talked about all the things that you're doing and kind of introducing you, um, yeah, I mean, we know you, you work at bare metrics, but you have kind of these other things that you're doing and <laughs> in some ways it's like, how are you doing all this stuff? Um, we would like to hear about kind of your, some of your side business stuff you're doing. I, I saw on your website, like you're, you're kind of trying to do like the, uh, stair step approach. Uh, so yeah, what are you thinking about that? How are you, how are you looking at some of your side of business stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it is born out of, um, just personal drive. I mean, I like making stuff. I've always been sort of entrepreneurial and so I just can't help it. Um, Mm -hmm. and then a lot of it's just been also like kind of see need, fill a need. Um, it just kind of happened over time as well. And I will say I don't have kids. Um, my wife and I are sort of newly married. We've been married for two years now. So like we're in, I'm in like the right spot to just be like working constantly almost like we have, uh, we definitely have date night we have time on the weekends, but like most of my time outside of work is spent working on stuff. Um, and so we've kind of gotten the same page that, you know, this is the time to build and to plant seeds and to, uh, to really kind of dig in and try to, you know, figure something out. Um, my ultimate goal is to be an entrepreneur is to be a SaaS founder. Uh, it's kind of my long-term goal. So this is also kind of, like you said, kind of trying to stair step my way through that and just build things and launch things so that I have practice, uh, because mm-hmm. SaaS is like the hardest, uh, it's like at the top of the totem pole, you know, it's like, that's the final frontier yeah. of business, I think. Um, so I don't want to just jump straight there. Also, I'm not technical in any way. I'm like very technically in adept, basically handicapped. So I need to do stuff that doesn't require coding, which is creating content and doing things with no code tools. So 
Uh, it first started with Hey Marketers, which is my job board just for marketers. Um, and it was actually just a conversation I was having with a SaaS founder. And he was like, hey, can I pick your brain about your job and what it's like? So I'm looking for someone like you, basically. Um, and then he was like, on the phone call, he was like, hey, so like, where should I post this? He's like, I could post it to you know some of the remote <laughs> job boards and he's like are there any like marketing specific job boards and i was like i don't really think so <laughs> and he's like man he's like if i had like an extra weekend i'd just like build that thing myself i was like yeah i think i will like let me get back to you next week <laughs> <laughs> and then basically I'll just build it for you yeah I, it took me three weekends um but i built it all with no code tools so webflow zapier google sheets and typeform um, and then launched it and he was my first customer. And, um, so I was just like, okay, I'm like, why not? I'll just, what's the worst that can happen again? It, it didn't take me very much time. It cost me about 80 bucks a month in subscription tools. Um, but that's it. And it's profitable now. So that's been fun. Um, nice. refactoring growth again was born out of, uh, kind of my own discovery of like being the head of growth at Barometrics, like what really drives growth for companies and how should I think about this? And, I mean, I'm a very like systematic kind of thinker. And so I'm always like gathering things and trying to put together, like, how do I think about this? And, um, what's like a system for thinking about growth and mm -hmm. through all my conversations with customers, through everything that I had seen. Um, and also just hearing a lot of stories too. Like I've been following, I'd been following Josh for years before I even started bear metrics. I've been following a lot of the bootstrapper podcasts, a lot of the entrepreneur podcasts, um, mixer G I like binged, uh, constantly, basically it was like in my ear on my commute to in and out of work and school for four to five hours a day. Um, and so I, I just basically started throwing all these thoughts together. And then it was like, uh, there's so many people asking me on the side like through email, through Twitter DMS, like, how do you think about this? Or like, what would you do that? I was just like, I have to put this somewhere. Um, so I started putting those thoughts together at the same time, ironically, I started working on mental models for marketing which was a lot of marketers doing the same thing. Like other people in marketing, like uh, especially if you're hey marketers were like, Hey, I love this, but like, how do you think about things? Or like, how should I think about things? Like what are, what are like the latest growth hacks? And I'm like, dude, it's not about growth hacks. It's not about the latest tactics. It's about the way that you see the world and frameworks and principles and like the psychology of marketing. And so I was like, okay, I need to put this into something. Um, and so yeah, I just started putting those together over time, like just writing all the content, and then recording actually didn't take that long. Uh, and then I think within about a two month span in the last six months, launched both those courses. Yeah. Sweet. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's good. When do you think that you'll be ready to, I guess, get to that, the SAS thing? Like where are you on the stair step, I guess? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, it's hard, so hard, you know, like, um, definitely like you have to be in the right life spot. Right. So, um, I don't think that I want to just kind of jump off. And so, you know, we'd either have to start something on the side and, you know, grow that while I'm doing my full-time job, which I'm not doing that now, but that would be one option. Or you can build up some savings, right. And just kind of do the launch pad and give yourself some mm -hmm. time to work on it full time. Um, I don't think I'm on the right spot to do either of those right now. So I'm kind of just like <laughs> trying to, I'm working towards both of those of like getting to the right spot, uh, either financially or with, uh, or with a job. Um, I think also to be honest, finding a co-founder, I mean, again, I'm not a technical person. I have tons of ideas and I think I have a pretty good like system and process for again, how to go about this. Uh, even though I don't have a lot of personal experience with launching a startup, I have a lot of personal experience with launching features and add on products and, uh, and other things like that. So, and you know, courses, et cetera. 
But yeah, I mean, a, a co-founder is a big part of that equation because I would not be the one creating the SaaS product. So that's also uh, part of the equation that's missing for me right now. That's interesting. Yeah. So you would probably not go about Bootstrap on your own, right? So um, No. I, I think the more that I listen to guys like Justin Jackson, Ben Ornstein, um, all the Bootstrap, you know, a lot of them, I, especially when I hear like the solo founders, I'm like, oh, like that sounds hard. <laughs> going between like, you know, I could, you know, my wife, I, I, we talked about it before, like we could go and live in Thailand for six months. I could learn how to code, do enough to be able to do like some consulting and then like uh, work maybe on the side of my own SaaS product. That just sounds really hard, to be honest. I feel like if someone else can do the coding and I can do the marketing and they're two very different jobs, um, then yeah. a co-founder relationship seems like it makes the most sense if you can to build a SaaS startup. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, At least for I me. feel like that's, yeah, I feel like in the indie hackers community, bootstrap community, there are a lot of people that they just want to, they want to do it all alone. They were like, I, I can do this whole thing all by myself. <laughs> and then they kind of put onto themselves. And so far that's what me and Ben are doing. We're, we're putting onto <laughs> ourselves all this difficulty and challenging stuff. Um, yeah, it's hard for sure. <laughs> Possible, right? But really, I mean, again, if I had the skills, maybe I would have a different opinion. Maybe I'd be like, oh, I could definitely do this by myself and I have 100% of the equity and I can keep 100% of the, uh, of the profits. But um, at least right now for me, that's not an option, right? But also I just think, um, I think that there's, there's trade-offs in everything, right? So if you were to look at what does the path look like for a solo founder, um, it's probably gonna be a little bit longer uh, it's going to take more grit and grind and productivity, uh, but it might be, it's definitely, it could be a lot more worth it in the long run. You know, Josh is one of those examples. He built the MVP himself, launched to about $5,000 in MRR and was sustainable. So then he could work on himself and then eventually hire someone else. And now we have bare metrics today. Um, it's not always the case that it could take longer. Like you look at the guys like, um, Justin Jackson and John Buddha, right? It took him about mm-hmm. eight, 18 months to get to, uh, like 20,000 in MRR, I think it was around there, uh, which was like sustainable for them, but that was like fast even. So I'm like, geez, I don't know if I would be willing to go, you know, three, four years alone, um, kind of grinding it out myself with minimal revenue. Like it just, anyways, I, it, it could be quicker with a co-founder. Um, but then you get less of the equity, less of the revenue, um, could also be mm-hmm. more challenging with co-founder relationships. You don't know, um, trade-offs and everything. It sounds like you feel like you kind of have a good spot of like, I don't know, the, the problems, like you're, you're good on the side of like, you have lots of ideas and problems of things um, that you think, you know, you could go out and solve um, where I, at least, I don't know, I don't talk for you, Ben, but at least on my side, I feel a little bit like that's where I'm struggling more. It's <laughs> like, you know, this, the software side is like, okay, I can figure that out. That won't be a problem. But like, it's more the... Uh, yeah, finding the customers, understanding the problems, you know, making sure I'm building the right thing is what I think is the hardest. So like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm wondering, like, do you feel like it's opposite for you um, no. with what's what's the hard part of a business? <laughs> yeah, not at all, because I have a hundred, I mean, I've been gathering ideas. I had it all in Evernote for a while and then I imported it into Notion where everything is now for me. And I think there was something like 400 ideas I've collected over the four to five years that I've been writing stuff down. There's tons of others that I've forgotten mm-hmm. about. Um, most of those, probably 95% of those are terrible ideas. Um, <laughs> and even ideas that I've had in the last year where I was just like all gung ho, like this is going to be it. And like, I'm already creating wireframes and I'm thinking about like, 
you know, uh, when can I launch this thing? And you know, how much do I need to save to go launch myself out of this? Uh, then like two months later, I'm like, Oh dude, that was the dumbest idea. Like I can't believe I even <laughs> thought that that would be in a business. Um, there, there's definitely a couple where I'm like, I think that there's uh, sort of my, my thinking now is not more like what's the idea, but it's like, what's the problem I'm trying to solve. And so, uh, I only yeah. have a f- probably a few like problems that I really care about. I think that's a really important distinction that I'm hopefully I would learn before I would go launch my own startup is like, don't think about the solution, think about the problem and be obsessed with the problem. Um, so that, yeah, I mean, there's a few problems I think that are really, uh, worthwhile and that could be worth exploring. Um, but for sure, none of my ideas are good. (laughs) None of my ideas are validated. (laughs) Uh, I have lots of ideas, but it definitely doesn't mean that I have lots of business worthy ideas. Well, thanks, Corey, for coming on. Uh, we re- really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, where can listeners find you online? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, probably too often, um, at Corey Haynes Co. Uh, you can also find my personal website, CoreyHaynes.co, um, and then BearMetrics.com if you need metrics, analytics, retention tools for your SaaS startup. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And we will uh, see you listeners in another episode. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.